Hey there. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that I have a live stream going on YouTube where you have an opportunity to meet some of these guests and ask questions yourself. I try to do all the research and do the best that I can, but I know that you may have questions that I didn't think of. So definitely check that out. You can find it at youtube.com slash Eric Hunley, or just search for Eric Hunley. Uh, today's guest is Jim Fortin, and this is the kind of conversation that I thrive on. It is a major reason I have this show. We go all over the place. It is all about mindset, shamanism, um, influence. He actually ran a company called, or was a spokesman for a company called Learning Annex. One of the major speakers at Learning Annex was Donald Trump. So he knew Donald Trump, or knows him, Tony Robbins, and many other luminaries. We discussed Trump. We discussed manipulation. We discussed media. This is quite the well-rounded conversation. I think you'll really enjoy it. And I present Jim Fortin. My name is Eric Hundley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today, we are with Jim Fortin. He is self-described as a leader in subconscious transformation. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing great, and it's interesting that you say self-described. How do you know millions of people don't describe me as that? Oh, they may agree with you. It could be <laughs> just you're a single member of the universal chorus. I know you are into higher level spirituality or cosmetology, I think you said. Yeah. Actually, not cosmetology. Cosmology, not, not cosmetology. Co <laughs> I'm not doing hair and makeup, but cosmology. That's an interesting distinction. But uh, th there is yeah. a, a higher level of baseline and base makeup. No. <laughs> I'm not aware of it. <laughs> How would you describe subconscious transformation? And in simple words is, you know, I, I just did an interview earlier today and so many people have read the classic book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon mm. Hill, you know? And I tell people, if you could just read a book and become rich, then how come everybody who's read that book hasn't become rich? So right. what I look at is that book is full of content and it's good content, but if you can't get it into your context, which means your frame of unconscious thinking, then the content's of no value. So, so many of us try to change from the outside in instead of the inside out. And when I talk about subconscious transformation, until we transform our subconscious identity, it doesn't matter what we do on the outside, nothing else is going to change for us. And so before I get too far, I've got to jump in because sure. you brought up a subject. There's an author out there I'm trying to get on. He wrote a fantastic Gizmodo piece. And the title of it is The Untold Story of Napoleon Hill, the Greatest Self-Help Scammer of All Time. Inter okay, I'm going to have to write that one down. What's the name of that one? I've got to read that one. <laughs> the Untold Story of Napoleon Hill, the Greatest Self-Help Scammer got of it. All Time. I'll okay. send you the link too. Yeah, definitely. And Napoleon Hill's history... I feel is very similar to, well, right now we've got the, a friend of the show, Chris Lockhead calls them hustle porn. Mm -hmm. So all the motivational people are who he calls hustle porn stars. Hustle, mm -hmm. hustle, hustle. Yeah. I like it. like the word. I agree. And Napoleon Hill kind of started a lot of that off. And like many of the hustle porn stars, the only money that's really being made is from the people they're selling to. 
Yeah. So I would say that I'm probably an unhustle porn star. So I I take the opposite position that you can hustle all day long. And for most people, they hustle and that's what they've been told because right now the buzzwords are hustle and work until your eyeballs bleed. Doesn't matter what, if your unconscious identity is poor, doesn't matter Mm -hmm. how much you hustle, you're always going to be poor. So, because we work from the inside out, from the identity level. I'm already getting some good notes here for me. I've got to check some stuff out. (laughs) Perfect. You're actually leading right into that. It may seem scattershot, but I was going to go into the identity. I want to jump back one because you start off with the um, have, do, be versus be, do, have models. And can you break that down? It sounds like CBT in my mind. Well, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. Yeah. So I would have to guess that a, a percentage of your audience is obviously pretty bright to even follow things like CBT and the things you're already talking about. So here's where I work from, is most people work from have, do, be. If I have or had more money, then I could do something and then I could be successful. The challenge is you never have the money, so you never do, you never be. Where I work from is be, do, have. Who do I have to be to do what I need to do to have what I want to have? That comes down to the level of identity. So to bring it right home to you, did you smoke any cigarettes today? Nope. How come? I didn't feel like it. I decided (laughs) I didn't want to in 2005. So you quit years ago. So (laughs) this is is actually good. Years ago, you used to smoke, right? Mm -hmm. And if I said, are you a smoker years ago, you would have said yes. Now you're a non-smoker. In your identity, you're a non-smoker. Therefore, you do not do the behavior of smoking. Correct. So let's go, let's go back to your, your hustle porn people is that I get a kick out of when people say things like people have to take massive action. Well, mm. the person runs out and they take off and they go take massive action. 10X. But, I, but, but I look, <laughs> yeah, but I, then I look at their identity and two days later they're back in their old patterns again. Why? Because they're not being the kind of person, which means committed or focused or disciplined or dedicated to be able to sustain the massive action. Okay. That makes sense. Now to push back a little bit, there, sure. there can be a, a, a question of, is this fake it till you make it? Because it's kind of like, okay, I choose to be the greatest interviewer on the planet. Okay. Well, I can have the mindset and do what I can to be there, but am I actually that, or am I faking it until I am actually that? Yeah. Let me, let me go there. I've never been a fan of the fake it till you make it movement. Neither and, am I. That's why I want to. Yeah, see no, I've, I've never been a fan of that. I want to go a couple of places with that. One's going to be more ethereal. One's going to be very uh, neurological. Mm-hmm. Number one is the conscious mind can only hold about seven bits of information per second. That's why we have a hard time even remembering, you know, phone numbers. But sure. the unconscious mind can process over a million bits of information per second. Like, for example... You weren't aware of the pressure if you're holding a pen. Well, put it this way. You're wearing a headset. You mm-hmm. weren't aware of the pressure of the headset on your ears until I bring it to your attention. Now you're like, okay, I'm wearing a headset. You're aware right. of the pressure. Even when we're faking it till we make it, people read our body language unconsciously, but they don't know that they're reading our body language. And I know mm-hmm. you've had a lot of experts on here that are experts in body language. Sure. Here's the thing. When we're watching people... We're calibrating and we're looking at their breathing, their breathing patterns, how high their voice up is in their neck, you know, in their throat. Are they coming Mm -hmm. from the diaphragm? Are they actually, you know, their their tone, their timbre, their pace and everything. And even though the person may be faking it till they make it, 
we know at an unconscious level that there's something off with that it's like person. uncanny valley or i had a body language expert mandy o'brien who describes it as when people are truthful she mm. says their bodies sing which i think is a great description because mm. everything f- flows comfortably there's yeah. no nothing feels off or strained in any way yeah and to give you an example here i i don't know where the research is and i know you're a research guy i read it years ago that we can tell who's going to win an election based upon body language early on in the election cycle. Now, in 2004, and this was incredible research. It wasn't fake news. I just don't remember where it was. (laughs) In 2004, I was watching the George W. Bush, John Kerry debates, Mm -hmm. and I had the volume off. And it dawned on me. I said, if I I didn't know what this was, didn't know as politicians anything, which person would I like? Now, John Kerry is like six foot three or so. And taciturn. Uh, and you're, looking, you're watching me here because we're doing video, and he's very symmetrical sure. with his body language and very scholarly. Somebody he, said he looks like a Lord of the Rings tree. I never, I've never heard it that way. Sorry, <laughs> John, if I ever said that. But, he's, he's but very, he does have that look. You're right, you're right. I'm not going to go there, but okay, yeah. <laughs> but you look at George, and I watch George, and he's all like, he's leaning on the podium and very cool, and I'm like, I would have a beer with that person. Of course, he's so, Alfred E. Newman. So I, I want to be fair. <laughs> we have, we, we have to be fair. Yes. No, we have to be fair to people. <laughs> but you know what? People think they're watching analytically and they're watching the dialogue and the arguments. They're really watching the body language to determine how they feel about these candidates. Sure. But they don't know they're watching the body language. And that's why experts will say, well, John Kerry won every debate. So logically, he should be elected the next president because he blah, blah, blah. But yet nobody cares about debates. Exactly. Exact. Well, tell the politicians that, please. Well, actually, no, they do, but they don't. And, yeah. you know, obviously nobody is neutral on Trump except me, I think. Because I kind of am like, eh, I don't hate him, don't like him. I just kind of observe him. But I have to say that he worked the debates in the perfect reptile fashion. You are correct. And actually, I stopped writing blog posts about that because I got tired of, of getting hated on. I have a degree in political science. I am nonpartisan. I'm basically, if I were anything, libertarian. Keep your hands out of my pocket. Right. Leave me alone. Just stay out of my life, government. <laughs> Unless but, you're talking about Aleppo. And yeah, I voted for him, too. <laughs> but I, want, I, I, I started breaking down all of his strategies for people, and I got a lot of hate. It's like It's not worth the energy to be able to put this out and, and to do it. But that man is a master, and I mean a master at, how do I want to, I want to choose my words here carefully? Labeling. Master, I'm sorry? He's a master at labeling, and that was just brutal. When he did that whole low-energy Jeb, yep. he just, he took a strength of Jeb, because most people would see that Jeb is very, I'm trying to think of the right way to put it, but thoughtful. Yep. Yeah. Deliberate. Yeah. Careful. He said low energy. And you couldn't get that image out of your head. He, I call it framing. And he frames every everybody that's an opponent of his. He frames them. And so what yep. he does is he creates in the mind of the viewer a frame around that person. And he always is actually stronger than the frame. Those are called social frames. And what I tell people is people who control the social frame will control the sale, which mm-hmm. a political campaign is sales. But if you, I don't know where you want to go, but if you want, I can even, 
like MAGA, Make America Great Again. If you don't want to go there, then we'll not go there. There's no politics involved here. We're just talking persuasion <laughs> and influence. No, and, well, and that's fine uh, because I actually want to get into the counter too. Yeah. Because Scott Adams, I'm sure you're probably aware of him, has yeah. gone deeply into it. But he had pointed out that he thinks that Cialdini got involved with the Clinton campaign because suddenly over the summer, things like dark yep. came up. So I would love to talk about it. I want to be fair in the sense that, you know, should be. let's talk about how it went both directions. And it's more of an analytical. Well, let's go a couple of places here. Let's keep all politics out of it because like I said, I'm libertarian. Let's just look at psychology and cool. brain-based. All right, so MAGA was used by Ronald Reagan back in the 1980s. It was crafted by Roger Stone. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you look at the psychology of MAGA, we as human beings move from pain to pleasure. Sure. Now, if I'm a nationalist uh, or a patriot, and I believe that America is not great anymore, and that I have a common enemy, like the Mexicans and the Chinese, what I'm automatically predisposed to do unconsciously is to fight that common en enemy. So mm -hmm. when we look at MAGA, we go, it appeals to people psychologically, it moves people from pain to pleasure, and the entire platform is built in to move me from pain to pleasure, and that person who had that platform is actually the person that's going to rescue me out of the pain. This is brain-based. Then what happens also, and this is research proven, is that once we get into fight or flight survival, which is pain, mm -hmm. and we're moving away from pain, we shut off the prefrontal right. cortex, the thinking part of the brain. So Back then to we lizard start, brain. Yeah. Then we start following out of fight or flight. And we're not even thinking as we're following through fight or flight. So whatever side of the aisle that you're on listening right now, that's why people are so, one of the reasons they're so polarized about him, because it, 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 it comes down to how he's appealing to their unconscious identities. Plus, he doesn't care. I, I think that he's the first one who flat out is, he's the most honest liar on the planet. If that makes any sense. That makes perfect sense. But yeah. he really, the people who are polarized against him will not change. They're hardened. And he knows that. He doesn't yeah. care. He Correct. actually uses them as a ploy. Correct. And he's only trying to shift like 1% to 2%. I mean, the guy's never over 50 Correct. for approval. Correct. So he wrecks others and just makes sure that he shifts people enough that he picks up in the end. I, I don't think he, I don't think this was a strategy going in. I think he learned it as he went. I've watched this stuff for years. It wasn't like, he's like, okay, let me calculate, calculate and lay out my entire strategy. I think things happened over time in ways he didn't expect that were positive for him. And he's like, okay, his natural ability, how can I take this? Let's talk persuasion, influence, all this. How can I take this and use this to my advantage? Because his whole, his whole driver is about winning wherever he's doing, you know, whatever he's doing or wherever. But anyway, I just wanted people to see that, for example, he used, he used framing, mm -hmm. he used common enemy, he mm -hmm. used repetition, he used appealing to what I call the lowest common denominator of your target market, meaning what most people want the most of. He used, mm -hmm. I think I said repetition again. He Visualization, like the wall, because it's a picture. People can picture this big thing. Okay, yeah. You, He's you, always painting everything very simplistically. Yeah, that, that's well, that's repetition over and over and over in very simple things. All I'm going to say is this, and please, no one listening, take, take this in any way, but there are other leaders of other countries throughout history who use these same strategies. They're not brand new. But sure. even he, he was also a master, he is a master at an NLP. 
NLP is a lot about language. And there's a section of NLP called sleight of mouth. It's akin to sleight of hand. Sleight of hand is you move things, people can't see it. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump is just naturally a master at sleight of mouth, moving things underneath people, and they don't even know that things are being moved underneath him. He also is a master at, like, let me put it this way, people don't use, as you said about the debates, people don't vote analytically. People vote their values. And he's extremely, extremely good at appealing to people's values. So that, coupled with his other strategies, coupled with his sleight of mouth abilities, that's why he is exactly where he is. And he's impenetrable to half the population because of these strategies. True. But also, let me add here, Eric, one more thing is, yeah. I'm going to just say this, no apologies to anyone, is a <laughs> lot of people are being manipulated, which is kind of a way of life. I mean, it just happens all over in life. But here's the thing. A lot of people are being manipulated, but they don't know they're being manipulated. So I just want to share that and food for thought for people. Absolutely. But now here's the funny thing. How many times have you said apologies just in this segment right now? Yeah. And this is something I plan to go into on a live stream with a pretty major YouTuber down the road. We are so petrified. Like I qualified and had to say, oh, I don't like him. And I voted for Gary Johnson. Yeah. You have said apologies multiple times. Yep. As a society, we are so on tenterhooks that we're so worried about upsetting anybody that I don't think we're even talking freely. Let me go. Let me back up. Yes, I acknowledge that. And secondly, if it were my podcast and I, I wanted to say certain things, I would say it, no apologies, but I'm a guest on your podcast. So sure. I have to be respectful and, and just modulate what I say. And, and when I honestly say I have no political affiliation, I don't. I mean, I, I'm, I, right. I'm libertarian. I don't, to me, both parties are the same, same thing, just different. So the corporate, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're owned by the corporate. We live in an oligarchy, mm. but, and Princeton did some research on that a couple of years ago. But the way that I look at it is any comment I'd make about him is not about anything political. I don't, I don't care. At, You're making tactical observations. I'm just watching behavior. It's kind of like a battle or it's like a, a battle in history. You're not saying that this general is good or bad. You're saying this general did this tactic and was able to do win a battle or whatever. Yeah. And let me add in fairness, if I said, I don't care about politics, I really don't. All that I care about is that we live in a sustainable world. So your kids or my kids or grandkids will have a decent place to live down the future. That's all that I really would say. I have any platform on when it comes to politics. So any of you body language or voice experts listening, I do want to actually toss that out there. Otherwise <laughs> I don't care what he goes to the Supreme court about. doesn't matter. True. Now, jumping around because we're having fun <laughs> sure. with it. Did you see the response? And I, again, I'm going to kind of Scott Adams, but the over the summer, how everybody kept saying dark, dark, dark to describe him, like his plans are dark. Yeah. And that there was a, a very unified messaging with, again, the strong visualization. Do you? Are you familiar with Robert Cialdini? To of course, Robert Cialdini's work, a Arizona State University professor. He wrote Influence yeah. and he wrote, yes, 50 Ways to Be Persuasive, and he, he wrote Persuasion. Yes. It was said that Hillary Clinton's campaign was actually already activating and engaging in Persuasion mm -hmm. at her rallies. So y I'm very familiar with all of that, but here's what I'm going to tell you is who knows what's the truth? There's so much stuff out there <laughs> right now that literally the average American just believes what they're told. 
Okay, right. so you want to get controversial. One of my favorite movies is Tommy Boy back from the 1990s. And Mr. Zelensky, you've never seen Tommy Boy with Chris Farley? I have. I'm sitting okay. here trying to figure it out because I'm like, okay, they're going in a car across the country and his dad ran yeah. a tire company. Correct. But, but here's where I'm going, and this will piss a lot of people off, which actually is good. People don't recognize that controversy sells. It's a, it's a marketing strategy. But Ray, oh, Ray Zelensky in that movie said what the American man doesn't, what the, what the average American worker doesn't know is what makes him the average American worker. And I thought yeah. that's a really powerful phrase. So, you know, people just consume news. I, I literally, I don't even watch the news anymore. But people, as human beings, I, I go to, I, I look at three sources. I look at Fox, CNN, and Reuters, for the most part. CNN, mm-hmm. I'll say something. Fox, I'll say nothing about it. And Reuters is in, the, is in the middle. Or Reuters, or Reuters, or however you want to say it, generally in the middle. I'm always looking for the most, the most truthful news that I can find. And it's not easy. And we, we live in a world that, to me, is... Is, is like, where's all this going? I mean, how do people decide what is real and what is not real when it comes to all the persuasion and influence in the world? Well, that's kind of what I wanted to point out is yeah. uh, I feel like that election was almost like a war between persuasion machines. The thing is, Hillary didn't have a persuasion machine. He, he had a masterful one. But she was also, number one, if you even look at unique selling propositions or taglines, as you want to call them, his mm-hmm. is psychologically foundational is, you know, make America great again from pain to pleasure. Hers could have been what's called association. I'm with her. But to me, that mm-hmm. confers no advantage whatsoever. And obviously, well, I guess popular vote, it did help her. But the Electoral College said maybe not so much. So I, right. I don't know. And I do have a degree in political science. I have a degree in psych as well. I just got it. Years ago, I used to work in politics and I recognized what a racket it was and I chose not to be part of it anymore. Yeah. Now I wanted to go into that because you kind of have an interesting background in yeah. the sense that you've you know talked about NLP, you're a master hypnotist, but you don't hypnotize anymore. Right. And you've made a point of saying that a few times. So let's start there. Why do you not do hypnosis anymore? Because if I did hypnosis, I could do one session and probably charge anywhere from three fifty to $1,000. But if I do group transformation programs and I teach people how to get in their own head and create change... I can attract multiple millions of dollars per year, dollars per hours. Okay. So, so it's a, I was going to ask you if it was a matter of scale. Scale. I can't, I can't scale a single session. Yeah. That's why. Okay. And at what point now, were you doing NLP and hypnosis prior to meeting your brother-in-law? Yeah. Yeah. And has his influence shifted you away from it? Or are you trying to marry the um, different skills? So <clears throat> my brother-in-law is a shaman. As you know, you've done some research and maybe heard of the podcast. Let me go here for a second. Shamanism is the oldest form of thought on the planet. It's not about beliefs. It's not about dogma. Shamanism runs through all the major religions. They all have aspects and tenets of shamanism. Anthropologists say without shamans many, many thousands of years ago, these species might not have survived. Shamans are seers. They are healers. They were the advisors to the Mayan kings and Native American times. They would be the medicine men. The reason mm-hmm. that anthropologists say shamans perhaps helped humans survive is because they had the higher insight or sense, S-E-N-S-E, not analytical thought, but higher perception to know what things we could eat, what things would heal, what herbs would heal. Sure. 
my brother-in-law is not a air quote practitioner of shamanism. Um, you would find him, someone like him, if you were down in the Amazon or in Africa or in Siberia or deep down in the China. He does not do anything commercial. People come to him. His waiting list is a year and a half long. He charges literally peanuts, but they come to him for one or two things to evolve their consciousness or because doctors can't heal them and they're looking for ways to heal. I've been on that path for, with him for 25 years. Am I a shaman? No, I am not. Uh, but I have been, for a lack of better words, I don't know the word to, to choose. I have been an apprentice with him for a lot of years and I feel like I'm a, I'm a beginner. Is that something, you know, I, I looked yeah, him up and he had the skills pretty early. So yeah. is shamanism something you were born with? versus or go into when you say yeah i'm an apprentice or whatever you know that brings thoughts to mind sure. like is this like a martial arts where you have belts and you get over time Correct. or is it just a he was born a shaman he always will be you may study under him but you're never going to be a shaman it's what kind of along that? those lines because i asked his mentor one time i said how why me how, how how did i end up here and his mentor said to me he said it was written in the stars before you got here so okay I, we there's so I'm kind of laughing at our, in a good way at our time together because we're going from politics to now, co co not cosmetology, but cosmology. And I'm like, oh. what's the name of the show again? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's like we're all <laughs> over the place here and that's okay. But yeah, I, I use a lot of that work with him because the work with him has been to develop my higher senses, which we all have. We call mm -hmm. it a sixth sense. And mm -hmm. my work has been mainly over the years is, meaning my transformational work is to develop where I can hear. I can hear what can't be heard. I can see what can't be seen. So let's go to politics for a second. My brother-in-law and I were talking and I'll just, let's go back. Do you want to go a little deeper? Sure. About Trump. And it's not, not political. And in 2015, he said, Trump's going to win. And mm -hmm. he said, Trump's going to, I'm just going to say it. No apology. He said, Trump's going to win because he's going to be very, very destructive. His exact words were to me, he's going to be more destructive than the last five American presidents combined. But mm -hmm. we need this destruction like winter comes before the spring. So he's going to be extremely mm -hmm. destructive so a lot of old things can die off and new things can grow later. Now, I, I can see that. And if we're going to decipher some of that, I think a lot of people on the left or the right would agree that the election of Trump has brought a lot of things to light. Yes, absolutely. And however you feel, for example, the media, most of them do not like Trump. Yeah. I think any honest observer would say that they don't, and most of them will even admit it. I believe New York Times has written, no, we just can't act like we normally do. Yeah. And so all the masks have been ripped off. Yeah. And we're starting to get into clarity. They hate him. They love him. They hate these people. They and so yep. a lot of, I guess, the civility or the rug has been ripped up, and now we can see everyone scurrying and a lot of the demons underneath. So that kind of makes me wonder if, you know, your brother-in-law is sort of saying that, that was it sunlight is the best disinfectant? Yeah. So we're, yeah, where we're going here literally is... Personally, I have no desire to be around the guy. I, I used to work at events. You know him. You've met him, right? Well, I used to work at events that he used to work at Speak At. So I'll leave it at that. You've, you've definitely done your homework. Yeah, I have no desire to be around him as a human being, as, as a person. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I have to take a step back and say what he's doing 
even though it's extremely destructive, is probably a service to humanity down the road at some point. So I have to respect right. that also, because the way that I look at it is he's doing what he needs to do. And the bigger picture that I can't see, but I can see that, you know what, from destruction, something always rises out of it. So I have to honor mm -hmm. that as well. Yeah. And I wanted to jump on to, you had mentioned the ancient wisdom. Yeah. So I actually do keep on some tracks, but are you familiar with the happiness hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt? Never. I, I probably know it through shamanism, but through shamanism, not by that name, but I'd love to hear what you have to share. Well, it's a pretty cool book. Uh, Jonathan Haidt <laughs> is a, a psychologist and he, he teaches modern day, but what he came up with, with the happiness hypothesis, we have a lot of people like Kahneman and Kabersky and, mm -hmm. you know, they're actually doing brain scans now. Yeah. And they're able to pick up um, behavioral tendencies and things like that. And so the thesis of the happiness hypothesis is that all the modern pop science that's saying, oh, this is going to be that, actually it was already covered in all the ancient scriptures. So you would probably love it because it is marrying modern science to that. And when you had mentioned earlier the emotions, essentially what he teaches, and have you heard of the writer and the elephant? I used to read thousands of books. Years ago, my, my, okay, no, my cool. I was told to stop. So I've not read it. Normally I would have, though. Okay, the writer and the elephant is essentially like the lizard brain and... Oh. Um, frontal cortex. Oh, I got it. I got the it. writer is really tiny, yep. and he has to control the big elephant of Reptilian everything brain. below. Yep. And you really can't control the elephant if the elephant runs away. Correct. So that basic thesis is that we make an emotional decision, and then we rationalize after the fact. Yeah, let me go somewhere else with that. In shamanism, like I've been taught that the exact words I've been taught is spending your life in your emotions is a wasted lifetime. We have emotions, but most people spend their life trapped in their emotions. And emotions are 3D, meaning they only belong to Eric. They are a part of Eric's entire operating system. But Eric, where Eric would ultimately want to go, ideally, at least if, if we're talking cosmology, is to evolve where you're not driven by that 3D part of you, which is the emotions mm -hmm. and the feelings and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So the metaphor is, is like, you know, we're doing video. If you look at my hand is most people live right here. They live at the tip of the pinky. That's all the emotions. Mm. And they let this little tip of the pinky control the rest of the body, which is our higher function of self. And they lose out on that mm. higher function of self. No, that, that makes sense. I'm trying to figure out which way to go with that. <laughs> now, it makes me think of awareness and, and things of that sort. Like the only people or people who are terminally ill are often the ones who are more present than anyone else on the planet. Probably because they're living in the present moment, which is all that exists. Exactly. They're not, they're not thinking about their past. They're not thinking about later. They're just right now. And so their clarity is pretty it's strong. Expanded. Exa exactly. Let me go back to a thought and then we'll keep on going. When I talked about Trump, my brother-in-law years ago had said to me, there's a difference, which I understand well now, there's a difference between seeing and looking. We look with our eyes. But if we only look and we look with our eyes and our past history, whatever we're looking at, we see through the filter of all of our, all of our beliefs. What we want to do mm -hmm. is see really what is there, not through the filter of our beliefs. Ironically, that's actually true both philosophy-wise but in actual physicality. When we look, we translate and imprint an image mm -hmm. on our brain, yeah. and we are not 
in fact, getting the direct thing, but it is interpretation, even when we're looking. Like, I'm partially colorblind, so what I interpret is absolutely not going to be the same as you sitting next to me. Yeah, and that's what we call developing our second attention, which means we actually see through what the belief, and we're using a different attention of being to be able to see the energy, because everything is energy. That's physics. That's not woo-woo. So we mm-hmm. really, and, and we see with clarity and what's really happening, not what we think is happening through our limited beliefs, which this is great. People listening, look at the world right now, how people see what you know Trump is doing through one lens or through another lens. Stop looking through either lens and just like, if you could just erase the lenses and just observe what's happening. Now you're picking up more information. Yeah, which is hard. So you got to turn off Twitter and turn off the TV. It takes practice. It ta- <laughs> yeah, it, ta- it takes. It definitely takes. I've done this 25 years. It takes a lot of practice. And the way that I do it is, which is the first thing I started learning on this path, stop the internal dialogue, which is reptilian brain. When you stop the internal dialogue, now you're quiet and now you can start seeing. But as long as you have the internal dialogue, you're actually looking and not seeing because you're looking with your eyes and through your past filters. Take some practice. Yeah. Now, in fairness on that, even with the practice, do you not have to catch yourself from slipping all the time? I, I do. Yeah, yeah, not all the time, but I definitely, I, it's like turning something off and on. I know when I just get quiet and just boom, shut it all down, I can start seeing. But like the rest of us, I get involved in the world and I'm traveling, I'm in the airport. But then it's, it's let me put it this way. It's even more practice for me to develop at an even higher level when I'm in crowds and different places to still shut off the mind. I'm just, I'm learning as I go. And I've done it for a lot of years, but yes. Right. Now that's one thing I've noticed is uh, you like to um, use repetition and, and that's good. And I wanted to ask you that because like, you notice I've had a lot of body language people on. I have people who do manipulation or persuasion, mm-hmm. but some of it's sinking in, but I'm still learning. And I'm like, I think I need to hear this in a hundred more times for yeah. it to actually get absorbed has that been the case for you that you've kind of had to not only absorb it a bunch but because you are sharing it all the time teaching it probably helps you absorb it even further absolutely and i work from where i work from is that repetition leads to mastery and i work i work narrow instead of broad meaning i'd rather actually share four things with people than 400 mm-hmm. like bruce lee that old bruce lee quote you know about the number of kicks and so mm-hmm. repetition is the mother of all learning so if i keep people on just repetitive things that are simple they learn it they can master it quicker they become more powerful so yes that is so that's like calculated. chords and music yeah it's calculated Okay, now let's go ahead and pick up a couple of those lessons. Sure. I wanted to go into that, but I decided to go down the rabbit holes. I really would like to talk about the, we'll finish out the have to be, but who you are and what is your identity and the story of your life or what are your stories? I, I really enjoy what you've done with those. So I'm going to throw you a curveball here to some degree is okay. I don't so much get into all of that. And this is part of shamanism is erase your past history. My parents got divorced when I was in college. And mm-hmm. my mother remarried, married to a guy for a lot of years till she left the planet. And her husband called me and said, your mother has all of your stuff that she's had, like your baby book and all this kind of stuff. What are you going to do with it? And it, it was all the way up through college stuff. And I said, mm-hmm. I want you to box it all up. And then I want you to take it out 
throw it in the trash, and burn it. And the reason why <laughs> is because it's past history. It doesn't exist. So when I had this epiphany watching my brother-in-law one time, is we've traveled all over the world, and I've never seen him take one picture. But most people are always, and we've been to some amazing places, like inside the King's Chamber, uh, Machu Picchu, Teotihuacan, mm. Uluru. I mean, my family's been afforded nights inside these places unsupervised. But he's never taken a single picture. And it dawned on me. I asked him like two or three years ago. I said, I noticed you've never taken a picture. And he goes, because, and what dawned on me is that people take pictures right now to show people in the future what they did in the past. That's generally why we take pictures. And he's like. It's not for ourselves to um, relive the experience or. How often do you do that? Maybe, but how often do you do that? You know? So I've, I've never seen him take one picture in 25 years. And we had razor phones or whatever 20, almost 25 years ago, 24 years ago, mm-hmm. or almost a little after that. And he's like, it's not being present. I'm not present when I do that. So you ask about the past and all these stories. I'm still shucking stories away. There's two me's. There's the me for you on this interview and the me for the tribe that I follow. Mm-hmm. And the other me that they have no clue about, which is a shaman's apprentice, which all this stuff doesn't matter. If I lost, right. I guess, I, I guess I misrepresented. I was talking because you explicitly gave the lesson. What is the story of your life, or what story would somebody have who has what you want? Okay, we definitely we can go there. That's that would be maybe I misrepresented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. So tell me specifically, like how we? Okay, everything is story. Mm-hmm. Everything is story. So, for example, I have a picture on the wall behind me. There's a story. It's really just a banal story. I just found that and had it printed. You've got a picture behind you. It's got a bird or something. There's a story. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a story in life about everything. So let's go to shamanism again. It's so simple that we miss it, and then we'll go to story. Notice all. Okay, even as we talk about stories, there are people actually telling themselves stories about stories. Literally, mm-hmm. as we're talking, that's what the brain does. And what I learned years ago, and this is so powerful when we really come to know it, is that the world is this way or that way. Because I tell myself the world is this way or that way. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the truthfulness of that, it's like, that's true. So the world is good or bad or rich or poor or easy or struggle or Democratic or Republican or Christian or Muslim or whatever, because I tell myself it's that way. So what we have to do, this goes back to stop thinking. We have to learn to stop thinking and stop, stop the internal dialogue. And that's when clarity comes. But if we're going to use stories, because the brain's going to use stories anyway, then use stories mm-hmm. that are going to work for you as opposed to against you. Is that like visualization that athletes have, for example, you know, of, of visualizing themselves crossing the finish line or their training patterns and mm-hmm. things of that matter? Th- that could be. But let me give you an example of Mr. Trump we are talking about earlier. He and I okay. used to speak at the same events. Let me give you a, a bigger story here. So I used to be a spokesperson for the learning annex out of New York City. They're the Mm. largest provider of adult education in the U.S. And I was their speaker for promoting the learning annex. They had had events, wealth events, and the headliners were Donald Trump and Tony Robbins and Susie Orman and Robert Kiyosaki and these people. Now, I never stayed and listened to any of them on their stage. I'd go Mm. do my thing and then leave. And one time I was walking across the main room and Trump was there. And Trump was speaking. And Trump said, if you're going to think, think big. Now, the reality yeah. is, is it's just a story. So is your story little right. or is your story big? Because it doesn't matter. It's just a story. But whatever story you tell yourself is 
what's going to happen most likely. Now, let me tell you an inside right. story here really quickly. So I don't want to mention any names, but <laughs> Donald Trump used to get initially $1 million for every speech that he did for the Learning Annex. Right. And the speeches were like 90 minutes long, and he'd usually close out the Sunday night session, close out the whole event. And he would get a million dollars per speech. And so not mentioning any names, Donald Trump came to a principal at the Learning Annex and said, I want more money. And this principal said, hmm. but yeah, we have Tony Robbins, and we have Susie Orman, and Robert Kiyosaki, and all these people. And Donald Trump said, I don't care. I'm worth more. And he got a raise of $500,000 per speech. Nothing more hmm. than a story. Right? <laughs> so think about it. It's just a story. But right. for us, air quote, regular people, is what stories do we tell ourselves? And the stories come from our identity, and our identity comes from our experience and our evidence in life. So in one of my trainings, I talk about stories. What are all the stories that Hitler told? And then what were the outcomes of that? What are all the stories that Martin Luther King told? And what are the outcomes of that? So we look at the stories, mm. and there's outcomes from the stories. And our stories are generally very, uh, very cultural, like culturized, if that's a word for us, is we learn what life is and what it's not when we're two, three, four years old. And then we live that story our entire life. Yeah, I think you used that as an example, um, being a depression era child. Yeah, my grandparents were, my grandparents reinforced my parents. Mine too. But you, yeah. you think it's hard in the 80s, my grandfather, you think it's hard now, you should have been alive in the Great Depression. You know, and then he passed right. that on to my mom. She passed it on to me. And I lived that, I lived those stories for a lot of years until I decided they didn't work for me and get me what I want. Whereas I guess you could use the same story and say that the depression didn't hold you down and you were still able to feed your family and move forward because you can always find a way. Well, a story, a story that I use now, which is physics, physics proves this. A story that I use now and I teach my students is that money does not come from hard work. Money doesn't come from work at all. Money comes from consciousness, and consciousness is energy, and your brain has a brain, you have a brain wave, which is an EEG. Everything is energy. Money comes from your level of, of consciousness and awareness, because you can see people that will work really hard, really hard, and still make no money. Mm -hmm. So money doesn't come from the hard work like people have been taught. It comes from your level of consciousness, which is your thought, your feeling, your vibration, and your frequency. I'm glad you brought that up because I have to push a little bit on it. Okay. The the main issue is this, and it's more of a clarification than I'm seeking. Sure, push away. I do think that being in a negative mindset and worrying about money, as you put in a, a lot of what you teach, yep. repels the money because you're so fretting about it and worrying about it. It's a negative energy, and then that kind of repels it from you. It's like you're almost working against yourself. Sure. However... You also point out that associating money and work is not relevant. Are you saying that I can go ahead and quit my day job tomorrow and just get some good mental energy and the money's going to float to me? That's a great question. As I sit on my lawn chair. Great question. Somebody asked that in one of my groups <laughs> just recently. Let's go a little science first for people. People can look it up. It's called the double slit experiment. And mm. I don't know if you've heard of it before, but basically the gist of the experiment is that, and this is physics. The gist of the experiment is that whatever happens in the experiment is based upon the expectations of the observer of the, of the experiment. What that means in simple words is, and it's probably kind of freaky, but what it means is that the physical world bends to consciousness, literally is what science mm -hmm. has proven. Now, in theory, you could say, well, you know, yes. You could, you could sit in the lawn chair. Hopefully you buy a nice, something nicer than a lawn chair, but you could sit in the lawn chair and attract money. 
And one of my students brought the same thing in a group coaching program up recently. She's like, well, I understood that you could just sit there and you could vibrate and imagine all the energy in the world and be positive about it and be in the emotions and attract. I talked to my brother-in-law about this, about a, and he's taught me a lot about money and attraction. Mm -hmm. And he says, the universe will, energy will do its part, but you must do your part as well. It's co-creating. It's not just, hey, universe, sitting here with my, in the lotus and position. That's what I wanted to toss ask. The money. No. It, the impression could be received that, yeah, oh, well, cool. Then why am I doing this? It, it, why? There's got to be kind of a push. Like, I, I want to have a sexual podcast. It's hard to do that without really seeking guests and correct. striving to correct. do the research and talk to you and, correct. and get other people. Yeah, to, to go off the deep end, my sister and I were talking about this, is that my brother-in-law knows how to... There are all kinds of energies in the universe that people have no clue that even exist because they can't see them with their physical eyes. Research <laughs> proves that we can't even see 99% of what exists in the universe because we can't see it within the spectrum of what we can see physically. There are... Empirically, I've had experiences with a shaman, non-ordinary reality for 25 years. There's a whole world of things going on that people can't see. And my sister and I were talking about this recently, about home protection. Mm -hmm. And they locked their doors and everything. And I said, but, you know, he has all of his guidance and protection. And she goes, yes, but you know what? We also have to do our part. We can't leave our front <laughs> doors open and say, hey, come take what you want, or we're not going to be home for five days. We must. That makes me think of yeah. Go ahead. That makes me think of the joke that went around after Katrina. It's probably way older than that, but it was um, the person who was trapped in the flood, and the water is up to his waist, yeah. and people come by in a four by four, and they're like, "Hey, come on aboard!" Oh, don't worry, the Lord's looking out for me. And then all of a sudden, they climb upstairs, and it's a boat, and they're like, "Hey, come on aboard!" And he's like, "Don't worry, the Lord's looking out for me." And it's a helicopter, and then eventually he drowns. He goes, "Hey, what happened?" And God's like, well, I sent a boat. I sent a helicopter. <laughs> what do you want? That story is in actually the pursuit of happiness with, uh, what's his name, Will Smith or something. His son tells that story is it? too. Okay. Yeah. No, exactly. Is I look at it that, you know what, is I have to get in, not massive action. I have to just get into intentional action and then hold what I call hold the space, hold the energy for the intention for what I want to create as the outcome. Now I'm doing my part. But for me just to sit here and say, hey, you know, universe, God, whatever, drop gold bars on me, it ain't going to happen. Well, and I guess the part that, and maybe I'm weird, is the focus so directly on money troubles me a little bit. Rather, yeah. Steve Martin had a great quote, and it was essentially, and I'm probably butchering it, but he, people are always asking him, how do I get successful? He yeah. said, nobody asked me, how do I get good? Yeah, I'm making a note here because two things. I talk about money a lot, and the reason why, we live in a country that has 78% of the population living paycheck to paycheck, according to the Wall Street Journal recently. Sure. Now, what I look at is money as a tool. It's not to stroke my ego or the nice house or the car. It's right. a tool to put my kids through school or take care of my, el you know, for people, el elder elderly parents or feed myself. Here's the mm -hmm. thing. I tell people that people focus backwards. Most people focus on the money. The money is the effect. What I focus on is the cause. When I actually nurture the cause, the effect happens automatically. So people mm -hmm. focus on the money, which is the effect, but they forget about the cause. And if they don't put the cause right. in, they don't get the money. They're focusing in the wrong place. And then most people are focusing energetically out of desperation. That's why if you ever notice that people that need the money the most have the least. 
they're energetically Absolutely. in desperation. So double slit experiment physics, it returns that experience right back to them in life. The desperation is no money. The universe corresponds energetically, physically, physics, and says, here you go. No money. That confirms where you're holding yourself. So then you would agree then that the money would be a byproduct and perhaps the focus should be on, be it your craft, your calling, your whatever it is. And with the skill and experience or whatever, over time, the money probably will follow naturally. 100%. Um, on my podcast, episode number nine is about how people actually use this. It drives me crazy, but it's my stuff, my my garbage. But this law of attraction is real, but people have commercialized it so much in books and stories and all this. Mm -hmm. But people think- The secret. Yeah, exactly. People think the law of attraction is just to attract money. Well, the law of attraction is a universal physics force that you're always attracting, but you're attracting Mm -hmm. neutral, you're attracting negative, and you're attracting positive. And I had a lady say, well, that law of attraction doesn't work for me because I don't have any money. Well, she didn't recognize that she was attracting exactly what her frequency and vibration were, which was no money. This is why I said poor people who need the money the most have the least. And I've noticed in my own life, I used to be poor. And I was always like, I need money, I need money, I need money. And I'm always poor. Now, I've got more money than I need. And I never focus on it. And money still piles up. The universe reflects Mm -hmm. me. I don't mean to go too metaphysical, but physics, double slit experiment, my life reflects me. It doesn't test me. Well, even on a simpler level without the universe coming into it, somebody walking in the room with just exuberant, genuine cheer is contagious. Absolutely. And go ahead. I want to add something there. Sales and marketing. Sure. Uh, and I'm just thinking that that is a, an example of attractiveness right there because, and it's not a look-based thing. It's a an energy. The frequency. If they're... Yeah. If they're projecting this goodwill, good energy, it could be cheer, it could be humor, it could be just flat out beauty, it could be any of that. Yeah. But they will attract those around the same way as somebody who walks in the room with a, a just a cloud over their head and bitter and vile in their personality is going to attract glares and scurrying and things like that. 100% correct. Part of it's neurological. We're reading them. We're reading people um, energetically. We're reading their body language, and I see people use it for. I'm going to use the words colloquially, good and bad. I see people that are very charismatic and very skilled, and they're using it to be a snake oil salesman or a charlatan or take people's money. On the flip mm-hmm. side, I see people that are very skilled at that, and they use it to actually help people improve their lives. But you're absolutely correct. Is that we actually read people energetically to know what to be attracted to? No question about it. And I'm just thinking that it might be a good tangible example of energy because you're throwing out a vibe. You use a word that I love is the word vibe is that we are all, mm-hmm. you know, people, people have a hard time because I guess no one's taught them translating energy into their physical body. And that if you don't have electromagnetics in you in consciousness, you're a dead bag of skin, plain and simple. I mean, you're, you have an EEG and you have an EKG, heartbeat, brainwaves. Those are electromagnetics. And I tell people, have you ever thought about why when somebody has a heart attack and they're unconscious, why would they shock them? Literally, if you think of what, right? right? Well, that's energy. Your heart is energy. Your brain waves are energy. You are an energetic bag of skin and energy, uh, pure energy. And Mm -hmm. this energy has a frequency. It has a signature to it. 
And people actually pick up on that. And that's why you can meet somebody and go, wow, this person I felt like I've known for a thousand years. And somebody else, mm-hmm. you're like, I got to get away from this person. This person is toxic. A minute later, <laughs> we're, we're reading their energy, but we're not knowing that we're reading their energy. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, what's ironic about that is we had all of these skills before. We've just lost them uh, with modern times and dependencies on technology and things like that. I, I love the way you say that, and there's probably a lot of places you can go with that. We live. My brother-in-law and I were also talking about how distracted the world is. He was mentioning that example of, I think it was in San Francisco, where the guy pulled out a gun a couple of years back, and no one noticed because they were all on their phones. And the guy waved mm-hmm. the gun around, and nobody noticed. And then somebody tackled him, and I think somebody got shot. But he said the world is so disconnected at this point. And the way that I look at it with him, because he shared a lot with me, just all part of a process. Humans evolving, things happening, things changing. It's all just part of a, a higher level process that's playing out here on planet Earth and in Earth school. Well, then to wrap it up, you're an optimist? Let me, let, me, let me put it, no one's asked that question before. Of all the things I've done, no one's asked. Let me put it this way. What needs to happen will happen and everything's going to be fine. That sounds optimistic. Maybe. It, it may be. But <laughs> Maybe I'm reading into it. No, that's where, that's where I work from is that there's a natural order. I can't see it, but there's a natural order of progression for humans individually, humans as a species. And whatever needs to happen will happen and everything's going to be just fine and it's going to progress in the order that it needs to progress. Well, perfect. Now, people can find you at jimfortin.com. Yep. And you also have a podcast of your own with the same name, Jim Fortin. Yeah. Let me ask you this to help people out here really quickly before we go. Is my podcast is only like seven months old. We're going to hit mm-hmm. one million downloads in our very first year. Wow. So people say, how does that happen? Well, part of it's marketing. I mean, I have an entire team. But you know what? When people can read your energy, and I don't know what you think, but when people read your energy and they know and they feel like you've got their best interest at heart and you're there to serve them, people will follow mm-hmm. and they will listen. So I just wanted to share with you know people that are listening is when we work from that place of, of what I say is this. We come to the planet for two reasons. We come to evolve and grow ourselves and we come to serve. Mm-hmm. What other possible reason could there, there be for being here? I mean, to get a gold watch, right? So I, those are the places that I work from, and I just share that with listeners. Consider how that might work in your life. If you really work from that place, what things could expand and grow in your own life? True, and you can never lose. I mean, who's going to hate on me for helping people? Oh, right. someone will, so, uh, I promise. You are right. Some, <laughs> yeah, you are right. Someone will, but you know what? At least I was coming from the highest of intentions, and you are correct. People will hate on you no matter what. So on that happy, cheery note, hey, thanks so much for coming. Eric, thank you. Let me know if I can do anything to be of service. Thank you again. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Hey, I'm Studio Steve. And I'm Veronica. And we we are are the the Podcast. We have a podcast all about podcasting. We cover everything related to the craft. 
how to start a podcast, how to improve a podcast, how to promote a podcast, and how to reach a bigger audience. So come check out our podcast, Pod Sound School. We're on all of the podcast players or on our website, podsoundschool.com. We are dedicated to provide our podskis with up-to-date, easy, and actionable information, sometimes outrageous and always fun. And now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. What was that like might just be the most intriguing podcast you'll ever hear. Each episode is a conversation with a regular person who's been through an extremely unusual situation, like Jeremy, who was bitten by a rattlesnake, or Jennifer, who accidentally killed someone, or Luke, who got caught smuggling cocaine. Real people in unreal situations. Listen and subscribe at whatwasthatlike.com.